Thank you for downloading or watching our sermon series titled Redeemed in Christ. We are going through the Heidelberg Catechism. The Catechism is written in 1563 using a question-and-answer format. The Catechism's goal is to instruct the Lord's people to understand the Reformed faith by answering common questions from the Scripture. Please join us as we walk through this historic document and ponder the Lord's grace and mercy as we are reminded that we are redeemed in Christ. Last time we started the, the third section of the Catechism that's dealing with gratitude and how we live our life unto the Lord. We are a people called to conform to Christ. Uh, we are a people that uh, are called to live out of gratitude, as the Catechism simply states, that we obey the law of God not to finish the work of Christ, because the Spirit is present within us, and we are those who are alive. And so as we're redeemed unto Christ, and we know that Christ is our Redeemer, uh, we know that Christ is the one who has taken away our offense that we deserve, the temptation uh, is for us to think, or maybe to potentially think, uh, that the law of God is rather inconsequential. You know, it doesn't really matter, it doesn't really, it's not that important, it's sort of one of those optional things of the Christian life. Sometimes when we hear about Christian liberty, where we talk about the freedom to live within the confines of God's law, uh, we think that it's sort of our ability to, to test the boundaries of God's law and to, to push where we think we can get away with things, rather than seeking it uh, as a freedom to live out our Christian life in Christ. And so... Is a Christian liberty then just a permission that God gives us to push the boundaries of his law, saying that the law of God really doesn't matter, it's just sort of an optional thing for the Christian life? Or is there something more going on in terms of Christian liberty? So as we look at this, we'll just simply divide our sermon into two points. First, what is our Christian walk? And secondly, what is Christian freedom? And so let's begin with this Christian walk. We notice that the Catechism teaches us that the Christian life or gratitude, sanctification, uh, that's where we grow in holiness or conformity to God out of gratitude, that as we do this, we're, we're called to live this life unto Christ. It's a consciousness. But as we hear this, we know that there's a pain associated with it that I think we, we have to be honest about. Because the description of sanctification isn't so nice. We have to die to self, right? I mean, this, this is something we're actually cutting stuff out of ourselves. We, we want things to die within us and not cultivate them and spring up life uh, within those things that are contrary to God's will. So there's a call for us to, to consciously live this out. That's why I wanted to put this in the context of Ephesians 5. Uh, where the Apostle Paul's reminding us we're, we're called to give ourselves holy, not just in our actions, but from our heart, and to honestly want these things that are contrary to the Lord, to be aware of those things, and to not cultivate or fan those things to life. And so when, when we talk about the law of God, and we think about sin, we think about what it means. Uh, we can sort of define sin as it has been defined in the past 
uh, not by Reformed people, but those outside our tradition, or an example of it, is that sin is an offense against a known commandment. Well, once you define sin this way, it's actually the less you know about the law of God and the less you know about his holiness, the holier you are, right? In other words, the more ignorant you are of God's requirements, the better life you're living uh, because you haven't transgressed any law that you understand. But that's not what the catechism is teaching us. The catechism is inviting us to understand not only the law of God in terms of an outward application of it in our lives, but from the heart. And from the very core of our being, we should want to live and conform to our Lord. I think a good example of this is Psalm 119. When you think of Psalm 119 as a prayer, you know, it's that prayer, keep me on the path of righteousness. May your law be a light to my feet, to your Torah, your instruction. If you read Psalm 119 carefully, it's not laying out some naive perfectionism, but it's rather a, a humble prayer asking God to continue to tune us and tweak us to his purpose, continually working on us, not letting us go in, into our sin and pursue our sin, but that we would have a clarity of understanding not only what sin is, but what sin is in terms of our own life, and that the Lord wouldn't hand us over to it. And so it's continually being sensitive to God's purpose from our heart, desiring to truly live unto him, recognizing that living unto the Lord uh, is truly the, the best way to live. But as the Catechism goes on, it teaches us about a true sorrow. When we talk about a true sorrow, we're, we're not just saying that, that we're sorry about sin or sorry to those that may be harmed by that sin or, or whatever consequence. I mean, certainly we're sorry about those things. But when we talk about a true sorrow, we're talking about a godly sorrow. This is where we understand that our sin offends God. And so it's this reminder that we're living our lives before the face of the living God. And so when, when we put off our sin, we're wanting to put it off not just for our own good or our own benefit, which, which it is for our own good and our own benefit, but that we want to do this because we want to please the Lord. And when we cross the line, we understand I've offended God, and I should uh, have a desire to put this to death because it's contrary to who I am as one set apart in Christ. But ultimately as we understand this true godly sorrow, we should want to walk according to the Lord's standard. And when we think about this, this really is a tall order, isn't it? Uh, it's that reminder of humility that as we live out the gospel, this isn't something that's always, it's not easy for us to do. It's going to be a lifelong struggle, as I've mentioned before with the word of God, that as you dig into the Word of God, it's like the ocean. You continue to go deeper and deeper and deeper into the layers and implications and see where we ourselves are those who have fallen short, where we need to grow more and more. But this is where I wanted to turn to Ephesians 5.10, where the Apostle Paul exhorts us in a responsible way to discern what is pleasing unto the Lord. It's a call for us to do this. We might say, well, 
well, why do we really need to discern what's pleasing unto the Lord? Well, this is where I wanted to put this, this verse, Ephesians 5.10, in the context of Ephesians 4. Because in Ephesians 4, the Apostle Paul lays out a series of things that, that we're called to put off. Doesn't tell us how to function in every single circumstance. Doesn't tell us how many meals a day we can have, for instance. There, there's freedom in this. But the call is that fundamentally we understand there's general parameters in the Christian life in how we conduct ourselves. And we're to conduct ourselves in light of that. Now the Apostle Paul, as you go through this, lays out a very difficult standard in Ephesians 5 verse 1. He says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. I mean, let, let that statement sink in. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Think about that. That's a pretty stern standard, that, that we have to be those who, who are imitators of God. He is holy. He's the epitome of holiness. And so when the Apostle Paul is setting our Christian walk at this standard, he's inviting us to basically heed uh, what we learned from Christ in the Sermon on the Mount last week. Uh, you know, our, our tendency as Christians is to say, you know, I could really fix this person's speck if this stupid log would just get out of the way that's in my eye. If this would get out of the way, I could fix everyone else's speck. And that's the Lord's sort of humor, that maybe you should worry about the log in your own eye before you go around fixing everyone else's speck. And so when the Apostle Paul says this in Ephesians 5.1, he's laying out the standard for us. This is what I'm called to do, what you're called to do, what we're called to do individually. The imitators of God. And so when, when we hear this exhortation, well, what does the Apostle Paul mean by this? Well, he speaks of imitation or modeling in other places. 1 Corinthians 4 verse 16. The Apostle Paul says, uh, to the Corinthian church, uh, urging them that, that they would imitate him. And the Apostle Paul is not applying to be a cult leader when he says this, but his point is, is basically, notice how I live my life before the face of God, in a general sense. So the Apostle Paul is not saying, my piety is perfect, or I've mastered the Christian life. He's saying to the Corinthians, how do you see me fundamentally conducting myself? Well, I'm trying to live my life before the face of God. I really am. I'm trying to conduct myself to his honor. And when you look at the Apostle Paul's transformation, I mean, that's, that's true. He's a man by his own profession who would sit down and have a meal with a Gentile and eat pork. I mean, as a man that grew up as a Pharisee, Pharisee of Pharisees, observer of the law, that's something that's just completely unheard of in Paul's tradition. But you see, as he lives his life before the face of God, he understands that he can do this. But going on, we find in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, the Apostle Paul, as he exhorts the Corinthian church to imitate him, why is he saying this? Well, he adds now to what he has said in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 16. In 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, he says, imitate me, as I imitate Christ. And so, when we have this, this imitation, it's not just imitate the Apostle Paul, which is kind of difficult for us. We don't know him personally. We have his writings. We can kind of 
piece together who he was as an individual, but, but we don't really know him. And in fact, we have more exhortations like this in Thessalonians, where Paul says to the Thessalonian church in 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 6, the imitators of the apostles. 1 Thessalonians 2.14, imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus. Hebrews 6.12, imitators of the faith of those who have gone before them. So what, what we're finding in, in terms of what Scripture is saying when Paul gives us this exhortation, Ephesians 5.1, he's not telling us that at some point we're going to become God. You know, like some sort of Mormon doctrine that live a good enough life, and eventually you'll be at a God-like status. What the Apostle Paul is telling us in the context of Scripture as we piece this exhortation together is I understand we are children of God. And this is very important for us to start. We are children of the living God. And so when we have our doubts, we have our struggles, Satan accuses, Satan attacks, where do we turn at the beginning of this exhortation? We are beloved children of God. And as we're beloved children of God, we're called to imitate, to follow, to, to emulate who God is, and to live out our faith as we see those who have gone before us. So the Thessalonian church, what's their struggle? It seems that uh, they're ones who have ceased working, they're they don't want to live their life in light of the coming of Christ. They think all is lost. So they don't want to do that. And so they cease working. Paul's saying, no, emulate those who have gone before you. They're living their life. They're going about their business. They're seeking to please and honor their God. Hebrews 6.12, as we're going through Hebrews, uh, that reminder of individuals where it seems are on the verge of, of throwing away their faith. Uh, they, they don't want to follow this Christ. They like the tangible religion. They, they don't like this new bangled thing that, that at least as they see it. The reality is, it's a call for us to live our lives in the confidence of who our Lord is. So it's a call for us to be willing to suffer in light of the gospel promises. It's a call for us to be willing to die to self, to live unto Christ. That's what's being reminded here that this call for us to understand how Christ lived his life before God, that's what we are to do. So when the Apostle Paul exhorts us to put things off, to put things to death, to live unto the Lord, to not walk as a Gentiles, I mean, this, this too is such a profound thing. He's writing to a church that's most likely comprised of Gentiles saying, hey, listen, you're not Gentiles anymore. I mean, this is such a, a wonderful, inclusive statement that we are brought into the family of God. We're calling for us. This is the reality. The Apostle Paul is saying this to the church. You're not outsiders. You're insiders. You're part of the covenant community. You're God, part of God's people. Live in this confidence. Seek to live before the face of your God, knowing who we are. But when the Apostle Paul goes through the moral list, so he Sets us up, reminding us of who we are. Ephesians 5.1 recalls for us again who we are. Gives series of exhortations. And then says that, you know, it has no inheritance in the kingdom of God. I mean, these, these are scary statements. When, when you hear this, you start thinking about the implications of these sins. The Apostle Paul says, has no inheritance in the kingdom of God. 
You can see how right away you start saying, well, how do I know if I'm in? How do I know if I'm out? How do I know if the Lord really loves me? What is the basis of my assurance? How do I find life? And this is where I think it's important we turn to our Christian freedom. This is where we look at question answer 91. Because question answer 91 lays out the standard of obedience in living unto the Lord. And so we find that, first of all, in terms of the Christian life and a good work, it proceeds from faith. Uh, this means we're <clears throat> doing this as individuals take hold of Christ by faith and the power of the Spirit. We really believe that what we're doing as a good work is a good work. We, we believe and, and we're doing this for the honor and glory of our God. That's why we're doing it. Secondly, and this is an important point as well, it conforms to God's law. So it's not by a tradition we have made up. It's not by what we think the law of God says. It's done according to God's law. So we're, we're not arguing that Christian liberty is you can just push the boundaries of God's law. There is no law. You're redeemed in Christ. Therefore, there is no law. Well, that's not what we believe. We believe the law of God still draws the boundaries for our life. And we need to live in light of it. And lastly, as the catechism drives home, not done according to human tradition. This is one of those challenging things, isn't it? Because in terms of a community, as you live out the gospel, you have certain expectations. This is where you've got to sort of weigh your expectations to the law of God. Are the expectations a valid application of the law of God? Are these expectations things that are just cultural expectations? What does God really fundamentally require? That's what we're being invited to ask. What does God fundamentally require? What, what's the boundaries of it? And where am, I, where am I living in terms of those boundaries? So when we talk about Christian liberty, this question answer 91 is sort of the question answer we say is sort of our Christian liberty question answer. A lot of times we reduce it down to whether or not we can drink or smoke, and whether those things are, are within the purview of the Christian life and whether we're allowed to do that. But what that does is it really reduces the significance of the issue, doesn't it? Because the issue is far bigger than that. Christian liberty, stated simply, is my freedom to live out the gospel in my life. Now we hear that, so well, what does that mean? Well, in terms of Reformed theology, there's two regulative principles that we live by. We have the regulative principle for worship, where we draw this from the second commandment of the Ten Commandments, and we say that only what is to be incorporated into worship is what is explicitly commanded. So in other words, in terms of our worship, we want to make sure that what we put in our worship are elements we can say, yes, these are commanded in Scripture. And we don't want to go beyond that. So it's a pretty tight liberty. In terms of the Christian life, we say whatever is not forbidden is permitted. Now, when we hear that, we say, well, does that mean that we can just push the boundaries of the law of God? Well, if we're thinking that's what Christian liberty is, and if we really think that living outside the boundaries of God's law is freedom, we need to really redefine freedom. God's our creator. He's our engineer. 
When he gives us the law of God, we, we have to believe. Now, I'm not saying we do this perfectly, but within those parameters is where we find a good life. And I'm not laying out a health and wealth gospel, so don't read that into this. I'm not saying necessarily going to be blessed and going to have all these things necessarily just fall into place. I'm talking about in terms of, of true contentment, true joy, true peace, true shalom. And when you live within the confines of what God lays out for us, that's where we truly find the joy. And so when we go back and we look at these lists from the Apostle Paul, like I said, he doesn't tell us how often we can eat. Uh, he doesn't lay out all the specific things as to what we are to do in absolute particulars. He gives us a list. He sets parameters. And the expectation is we're going to read these parameters we're going to reflect on these parameters. I'm going to start thinking in terms of our lives. What does the Apostle Paul mean in these parameters? How am I living this out? Where do I need to grow in terms of these parameters? Where, what needs to be brought in line in terms of, of who I am? What am I doing where I'm pushing the boundaries of these things and not living within the confines of our God? And so when we look at the Apostle Paul giving us these exhortations, we notice that the Apostle Paul, in the context of this, in Ephesians 5, verse 6, he tells us not to let anyone deceive us. So this is where we go back to the Garden of Eden. We think about that situation. We, we read Genesis 3 this morning. And you notice how Eve sets up the boundaries of the tree. We're not to eat of it nor touch it. Well, God never said you're not to touch it. He just said you're not to eat of it. And, and she never calls attention to the tree of life. She never says, here's the tree of life. Here's the Lord holding out true life for us. And so she interacts with Satan. Adam never jumps in and says, hey, whoa, 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 you're questioning who God is. This is not appropriate. And so this is sort of what the Apostle Paul is saying. Don't let someone deceive you. Don't let someone smooth talk you into saying that this Christian life really isn't that significant and this God really isn't that holy. Don't be deceived. It's a call for us to, to be wise enough to know what is deception, what is not deception in terms of false doctrine, right? In terms of false temptation or, or whatever you want to say. And so he gives us that exhortation. He tells us after this in verse 15, Look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. So this walking, when you look in wisdom literature in the Old Testament, this is how we go through this age, how we walk, how we conduct ourselves before the face of God. Wisdom is beginning with the fear of the Lord. So when we think about walking as wise, what, what is he telling us? Well, conduct yourselves in the reverence and awe of who your God is. Know that you're redeemed in Christ and conduct yourself appropriately. Be wise with it. But notice then, when we turn to Ephesians 5.10, we exhort us try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. I think this is a very important verse, because this discerning is really testing the genuineness of something. And so this is an invitation for us in terms of our lives, to test the genuineness of why we do what we do. Now, again, I think it's important 
I think Walter Marshall's done a great job of saying, we need to start with assurance. We need to start with who we are in Christ. We need to affirm that as we take hold of Christ by faith, we have life. Now it's the invitation for us to say, well, what, what really does fundamentally make me tick? What's contrary to the will of God? What's consistent with the will of God? What's not honoring the Lord? What needs to honor the Lord more consistently? And so when the Apostle Paul is saying this, he's saying, what, what parts in our lives individually may be partaking of the unfruitful works of darkness? Because again, you think about these unfruitful works of darkness, it leads to destruction, it leads to death. It's nothing that, that cultivates or brings life. But we have to also understand in terms of this, this discernment, we, we can sort of think, well, maybe we take the law of God, we, we list it out, we think about our lives, and, and then we just sort of rationally uh, think about this, and then we know, and then we can figure out what's right and wrong, and we can sort of do a, a spreadsheet-type theology. But that's not really living out our union in Christ either, is it? Uh, because we know that who we are as fallen individuals, Jeremiah 17, verse 9 tells us, our hearts are deceptive. So we're, we're not just going to rationally come to the right conclusion. This is where when we put this in terms of how Paul writes us, how he reminds us of who we are. Because prior to this, he reminds us the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and true, exhorts us to discern what is pleasing unto the Lord, goes on to speak of in the context of husbands and wives in terms of their roles, but also in terms of Christ and the church being united to Christ. Look at Ephesians 2, building on this where we're seated with Christ. So in terms of Ephesians, it isn't just this rational capacity for us to go through life. As we're empowered by the Spirit, we're to trust we're not left to our own devices. So we're evaluating what we're doing wrong. We're coming before the Lord, and, and this is where I think Psalm 119 becomes an important prayer. Show me, convict me, uh, expose my heart. Convict me of these things, O Lord. Uh, keep me on the path of righteousness. This is where I think it's so important to understand how the Lord prods us and works on us how we're confident that Christ has redeemed us, how we see ourselves as made alive in the Spirit. And ultimately, this discernment is not just us rationally thinking through different things in the Christian life, but it's truly taking moments, meditating on the Word of God in a positive sense, thinking about the implications of it, praying to the Lord that He grants us wisdom, asking the Lord to convict us of our sin, and also, this is where I think it's important we pray, Lord, conform us to your will. And it's asking God to actually take us and shape us and mold us, which is exactly what Psalm 119 is praying, isn't it? Keep me on the path of righteousness. Continue to hold your hand upon me, recognizing who we are as weak individuals needing redemption and seeing how the Lord grants us wisdom. And so hopefully we, we don't see Christian liberty as this desire to bend the Lord's rules. It's seeking out how to live out the gospel in our daily lives for the honor and glory of Christ. 
It's humility of understanding my struggle is not your struggle. Your struggle is not my struggle. And so I may set up different boundaries in terms of my life uh, to keep me from stumbling in different things. You have different boundaries. My boundaries aren't necessarily your boundaries. These are things that I find by the wisdom of God are things that keep me walking in the right path. Your boundaries may be different. And so this is where we have to understand the general parameters are the law of God. And as we live out these general parameters, our desire is to do this out of true faith, wanting to please God. We're doing it according to his standard and not according to human tradition. And so in conclusion then, is this Christian liberty then just the permission to push the boundaries of God's goodness? We have to understand who God is. He is a creator and redeemer. When we understand he's our creator and our redeemer, we have to believe in his word. Well, we have to believe in him, but we have to believe that his word is what he is giving us to tell us about him, who he is, and how we live our lives. The parameters. Yes, the law of God convicts us, but it sets the parameters as to how we live our Christian life. We need to believe that God in his providence is not trying to deprive us of good things. See, that's when people say, well, I want to push the boundaries of God's law. What are we assuming? We're assuming that putting off our sin is depriving us of something enjoyable. Well, we have to truly believe that living for the Lord is joy and enjoyable. We have to believe that. I'm not saying we're doing this perfectly. But when we understand those parameters, and we understand that coming in line with the Lord's rules and, and what he has for us, it's not that God's trying to be a killjoy. He's not trying to destroy us. He's not trying to deprive us of goodness. He wants us to enjoy his good creation that he created good that we destroy. And he wants us to enjoy that creation within the parameters that he has set for us. So let us then be a people who are wise in knowing what needs to be put to death. Let us be a people who are wise in terms of knowing what needs to be brought to life. And let us be a people who exercise wisdom, truly discerning what is pleasing to our Lord, knowing we have been redeemed in Christ, made alive in Christ, and set apart as his people by his mercy. Amen. Thank you for watching or listening to our podcast. Belgrade URC is a Reformed Bible-believing church that seeks to cultivate community around our Savior. If you desire to learn more about Christianity, please join us for worship each Sunday at 10 in the morning or 6 in the evening. You can do this in person or on our live stream. You can also utilize our archive sermon series on our website, urcbelgrade.com, or subscribe to our current sermon series through most common podcatchers. Until we meet again, may the Lord's blessing and peace be upon you.